Stuff up Saturday, breaking cycles, we rebels. Stuff up Saturday, uplift with love. Stuff up Saturday, breaking cycles, we rebels. Hey everybody, welcome to Self Love Saturday, where loving yourself is an act of rebellion. This is your host, Dr. Anissa Shomo, and I'm a family medicine uh, physician in Cincinnati, and I have a special guest here with me today, Khadijah Grant. Welcome, Khadijah. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Tell the people about yourself. Um, my name is Khadijah Grant. I am a, uh, I've authored about eight, eight, nine books. Um, my specialty is basically helping people find their pain points so that they can uh, find themselves and do what they want to do in life for real, because I feel like pain is one of the things that if you don't manage it well, it will control you and it will dictate your destiny. <laughs> yes, that is so true. And so I always tell people how, like if I've known people for a while, I'll tell people how I know them. Um, and so we know each other because we went to the Shaw High School. <laughs> um, so I've had, so you're the fourth person from Shaw High School that I've had on my podcast. And I've talked about how special little place Shaw High School was just because it really, you know, tried to teach us how to be confident and go into the world and hold our heads high. Like we were in this hood place uh, with a lot of teachers who tried to pour into us so much. Um, and so it just, you know, it was a really special place. And so I've had a lot of really special friends from there. Yes, it was amazing. I, now that you say it, I feel like it was a warm place where you could really be yourself. Everybody, I felt like, had their own personalities and it was okay. Yes, it was definitely. And I, you know, I feel like that's, for me, that's why I love my, our friend group so much because, you know how they say, like, hurt people hurt people? I feel like it was a place more of healing. And for me, I had a lot of painful educational experiences um, and I didn't know how much I needed to be in a supportive, nurturing environment. And I felt like that's what Shaw High School was for most of us. Obviously, I'm sure there's some people who probably didn't have a good experience there because that's just how life works. Um, but I definitely had a lot of nurturers there who helped me reimagine education. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, we both... Speaking of education, like you like to teach people how to write. I do a lot of education in my field that the word doctor actually means to teach. And so I do a lot to teach my patients about their disease processes and have just really good conversations about, you know, advocacy and all types of stuff of just giving people a lot of grace um, and trying to help them, you know, win. I say, I say, I want to see people win. I want to help them to win their health, help them win you know, whatever it is that they're, they're looking for. Um, and I think that that's, you know, what we both have in common is just trying to nurture people and help people be the best version of themselves. So today I want to talk with you about writing as coping because I've been having a really hard year. I will say that since I finished training, um, and, you know, became an attending when, I'm having really hard times in my life. I've leaned into writing. So the first time that happened was when I was going through my cancer situation. I wrote my first book, Health is Love, um, Reflections and Meditations. And so then uh, this past year, you know, I was still dealing with that situation, had my hysterectomy. And then I just had like so much trauma on top of trauma in the past year. And so I've really leaned a lot more into writing, uh, mostly on social media. 
But I also have been trying to, I'm working on my next book, The Love Rebellion, which I told people on this podcast before. Um, been working on The Love Rebellion for the past year. Um, I haven't had a whole lot of time to work on it because I've actually had a, a really traumatic thing happen to me at work where I've had my workload increase when one of my partners suddenly passed away. Um, but even though I couldn't really work as much on my book, I've really leaned into turning my pain into purpose by, you know, writing my course. Um, I wrote my course, 14 day coping skills in the midst of all of that. And I've just done so much writing on social media. So just tell us more about, you know, how writing has helped you get through different things in your life. Um, for, for one, uh, I started writing, my first book was called the influenced and, um, I didn't even, I used to write since probably I could probably write like maybe six years old. I've been writing poems. Right. Um, so one night I had a, a kept having these nightmares and, um, I was probably about 25, I believe I kept having nightmare after nightmare after nightmare. And it was, um, from my past and I didn't even remember it happening only in my dreams though, but I know it happened. So one day my husband was like, you know what, you get, you keep, you keep like, you freezing up, you crying in the middle of the night. Why don't you just go write it? So I went and I wrote my first chapter and it ended up being the first chapter of The Influence, the most powerful first chapter I, I believe I've ever written. And that's when I discovered the power of writing. Like I literally took it from that trauma from my mind and I put it on paper and it's almost like I released it, you know? So that's when I discovered like there's power in storytelling even if you don't tell your specific story even if you intertwine your personal story with um fiction you know it's it is so powerful just to get those stories out of you so yeah writing is oh changed my life it changed my life right and I'm getting to that place too like I've always so when I was young I used to write and that's what's interesting about me is that I've kind of always been in this world of science and art. And so for me, I went more, you know, the science route. And most of the time when I was in college, when I was in med school, and when I was, you know, in residency, it was like all science, 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 science. And so after that, I started trying to reconnect with a younger version of myself of getting back to writing, getting back to reading. Um, So I love reading the stories of people because I think that's part of like, I love journalism. Like I love the stories of people. I love journalism. I love autobiographies because I find people's stories to be so interesting. And it's mostly the things that they've overcome. You know, there's so many things about people that you're just like, man, I would never have known that was going on. And I would have never known that you overcame that. But I think part of it for me is like, it gives you hope that you can overcome every anything, right? When you're like, man, I can't believe I overcame that. It helps you understand how like all that strength that we have within ourselves, it gives, it builds up your confidence, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, every single morning I write about, um, I write affirmations to myself and I realize the more I write, I've been only doing it for about a month, but the more I, I wake up, and I write talking to myself, hey, Khadija, you are so amazing. Like, girl, you did so good handling that issue yesterday. Like, I talk to myself as if I'm a best friend. And then now I'm starting to wake up and I'm, I'm instead of looking at my phone to get that dopamine, 
I literally looking within myself to get that dopamine by writing to myself because it's like my best friends and girl, ooh, that day <laughs> yesterday you had it is the most it is it's different than writing in a diary. It is the most can't nobody tell me anything because the first thing in the morning I tell myself right. So that in itself is healing. Definitely. And that's that's one of the things I talked about in my course was, you know, you have to find ways to affirm yourself, but there's going to be times when you don't feel confident. And that's why it's so important, like your tribe. If you can be around healing tribe um, of people, whether that's your friends, your family, whoever that that people may be, um, listen to them when they tell you that you're amazing. And if they're not telling you you're amazing, get a new tribe, you know, because that's the biggest thing that's helped me my whole life is just always having people who saw things within me that I didn't see within myself. But then also when I didn't have those people just building myself up, um, whether it was, and you know, I've, I've gotten more into affirmations. I remember I was going to, uh, do a lecture in front of like a group of students and I knew it was going to be hard because it's about racism. So a lot of people don't know this because I don't talk about it a lot, but I teach a lot about um, racism and I shouldn't say a lot, probably a few times a year, I will give a lecture about microaggressions, racism. It's very exhausting and the feedback is hit or miss depending on who's in the crowd. It's very emotional. And so I remember like doing affirmations before that because I'm, you know, I usually am pretty confident, but there's days when I know I need some more confidence and it's going to be a really hard thing talking in front of strangers about something they don't want to hear about, you know? <laughs> so, so like I've used affirmations in that way of being like, you're going to do great. People are going to love you. And if they don't, somebody else going to love you. Try another day, you know, try another crowd, that sort of thing. And it's, it's that, that internal voice. Um, within us is definitely important, but those external voices are important as well. Yes, absolutely. Because those external voices become inner voices. Exactly. <laughs> and it's hard too, because I feel like a lot of times people will take those like um, insecure voices inside of themselves, those voices that don't feel confident and tear other people down. You know, it's, it, it's kind of like they get tired of tearing themselves down. So then they kind of like shift their energy into tearing you down. And so for me, I, you when I usually see people that I'm around and, they, and I don't get a good feeling from being around them where I feel like my confidence is shaky when I, you know, when I leave their presence, I start avoiding people like that. Or I'll even tell them like, yeah, we're not going to hang out anymore. You know? <laughs> I'm an Aries, so it's like I, you know, for me, I'm I'm pretty vocal about just telling people because I feel like for me, for me, just how I am, I like to give people feedback because I think it's the mentor in me, the teacher in me that just likes to give people feedback of like when I'm around you, I don't get a good feeling, and I just want you to know that, and I just want you to know that I'm not gonna be around you anymore, you know. That is really good because that that um yeah honesty that helps you and that helps them yeah and people are generally taken aback by it angry frustrated but the biggest thing for me is I'm a person that can give feedback but I'm also a person that can receive feedback really well and that's just how I am and when I've when I've and you know I can receive the feedback when people don't respond well to it where they feel like I'm being mean or anything like that then I just I won't say anything to them 
Um, but I'm at least going to try because for, for me, it just, it's like advocating for yourself. You know what I mean? Like speaking up of like, I don't like that. I don't like when you do that. And I feel like so many people don't have the confidence to express the way they want to be treated, you know? Absolutely. So I think one of my favorite, um, so I, you know, one of my favorite things that you talk about is writing on social media and how, you know, you can take the stuff that you say on social media and you can write a book about it. Like I've already done that with my first book. Um, but I think that just writing on social media can be very therapeutic for yourself and for others. So, so I love what you do on social media. So first of all, tell people where to find you on social media. Um, also Instagram is Khadija, K-H-A-D-I-J-A underscore Grant, G-R-A-N-T underscore. Um, and that's really all I have right now. <laughs> My yeah. Facebook is Khadija Grant. Like I don't really, I'm really on Instagram, but yeah. Yeah, that's where Twitter, I, that's I'm where I mostly Twitter. like to hang out too. You go ahead. I love Twitter, even though I haven't been using it um a lot, but Twitter, it, it makes me um condense my thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, because you can only have, so it's like, I be wanting to write a long paragraph, but I can't. And I love the fact that it forces me to, to, to use precise words It's short, but still with a, a hard hit mm-hmm. and meaning. And that's something that teaches, that is a great lesson to learn when writing your book. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people want to say everything, but it's like, nope, cut that out, cut that, cut that out because you want to grab the reader immediately and you just don't want them to have to go too off topic or anything, like get it real fast and crisp. That's how you write books that are um, fast readers. Right. No, and that's why I don't like Twitter. <laughs> I'm very verbose, so I have a hard time making it more succinct. Um, and I, I can when I, when, you know, I, I know how to do it. I can do the task, but for me, it just takes too much time and I don't generally have a lot of time to make it succinct. Um, so for me, it's easier to post on Instagram, um, on, I don't, I mean, all of it, that's what's hard right now is with the algorithms. You don't really see, you don't even see a lot of that. Like, I feel like I'm doing all this writing. And a lot of people don't even see it, which is fine. Cause I'm not, I'm right. I'm writing a lot for myself, you know? <laughs> I write messages to other people, but I'm really writing messages to myself to keep going, to to try to win, to, you know, have healthy coping mechanisms. Um, but I like what you do with your reels. You post a lot of different things. You, you post a lot about your daughters and how you try to be part of their tribe and, and increase their confidence. So tell me more about that. Um, I think one of the biggest things for me is uh, I chased I chased success uh, for a long time. You know, um, and that was based from, you know, trauma of growing up, not having money and seeing what poverty really does to a a family. You know, it can destroy it depending on, you know, how they deal with it. And so in doing so, um, I had took maybe four, four, four years, four or five years. And I just focused on myself. I just focused on getting to the success. And what ended up happening is I wasn't really as present as I was in the beginning when I first had my children. And it just so happened that during that four years, my children were, um, they were teenagers. Mm-hmm. The the point in their life when they need me the most. Mm-hmm. And so now I have to go back and just pour into them. And it's just me just really being present with them. And I want to, and then I have like this calling to just show 
everybody in the world, like our children are really the most important. It's not about success. It's not about money at the end of the day. Make enough money. I don't want to say to survive, but to be at peace, mm-hmm. pay your bills, but really spend time with your children and instill that in your children and teach them how to cope with life because they go through so much. Right. No, and you're exactly right. I feel like, and it's hard because I feel like our parents, that's what they did, especially the baby boomers. Um, they really, because the world has changed so much. Like my father is 70 years old and the world in 70 years has changed so much. But I remember like in the nineties, um, in the nineties, you know, my parents worked so much. My parents worked like 20 hours. And fortunately, because my parents were business owners, we were able to spend a lot of time with them. We spent like, you know, we drove in the car with them making deliveries, but that's pretty much all the memories I have really with my parents. It was like going on deliveries, being, you know, dropping off cakes, all that sort of thing. Like we never went on vacation. Um, I shouldn't say we never went on vacation. We rarely went on vacation. We would go out of town from time to time. Um, my mom would take us and to different things like to like Disney on ice and that sort of thing. So I have a lot of good memories with her about that. But my father, like, I don't really have a lot of memories of doing very much of anything other than working with him. And I'm fortunate that, you know, that I have, that I had two parents um, and that I at least got to have some memories of my father, but I just wish, I wish, you know, like you always want what you didn't have. Right. And I think that a lot of us saw that example of our parents just working and hustling and, and a lot of us did the same thing. But then a lot of us kind of got to the point where, because the same thing happened with me and my cancer diagnosis, like I felt like I was chasing purpose as well, like, and chasing money and all this sort of thing. And literally right before I got diagnosed with cancer, um, I, I, I was, you know, working with my husband and he wanted to buy a house and he was in residency. So he was working a lot. And I was like, you know, we got to we got to make a change. Like we got to be able to see each other and this sort of thing. So I changed. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of a funny story because it was, it had to do with Donald Trump. So I work for the government. Like I'm a somewhat of an employee for the government. And so I was working on a grant. And so um, like I work in like public health, that sort of thing. So I was working on a grant and we lost that grant because of Donald Trump being elected. It was a Medicaid grant and people were worried that he was going to cut Medicaid. And so I lost, um, I had, I had quit a job to go work on this grant. And so then like within 30 days, like they gave us 30 days notice, which they, people said like historically, like the person who was working on the, on the finances in our department was like, in 30 years, I have never seen people have 30 days notice having just a grant pool from underneath you. And so I remember in that moment, you know, I was offered tons and tons of jobs like, hey, you want, you know, as a doctor, you can always get a job. But what what I said in that moment was like, no, I've I've worked a lot. I want to chill out. My husband is done with residency. Um, and we, you know, we set up our life in a way where I didn't have to work a lot. We don't have the biggest house. We don't have the fanciest car. Like I was like, I'm just I need to I need to chill out right now. And so then like literally right after that was when I got diagnosed with cancer. Mm. And I'm glad that I didn't take all those jobs because had I started a new job, I don't know if I would have even went to the doctor. 
you know? And so that's the thing for me, like coming from that perspective of like, damn, you know, we're, our life is so fragile and I could have been chasing money instead of being like, you know what, let me leave the money on the table and let me go to the doctor and make sure I'm okay. And let me chill out and mentally be okay too. Let me take a breather. Um, I just think that is so important. And people talk all the time about, you know, work-life balance and all that sort of thing. But when you, when you see the potential consequences um, in your relationships um, with your children, with your spouse, um, but when you think about the fact that you could literally like work yourself so hard that you don't even have time to go to the doctor and, and I could have died at 35 years old, you know, it's definitely takes on a different, you know, meaning. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so in the, on this podcast, I have talked a lot about part of it is our culture, you know, in capitalism, we chase a lot of that money. We chase, everybody's telling you, especially on Instagram, right? Have the nicest house, have the most expensive outfits, have the fanciest cars. Um, and so it's, you know, but I feel like, especially for us as millennials, there's kind of like this pendulum that swings back and forth. There's some of us who do that for a little bit, but then we're like, you know what? What I really value is peace and balance and people just look at you like you're so crazy when you talk about that though yeah I um for me personally I've achieved everything that I ever wanted to achieve right um but now I'm just like I just want to write books you know like you forget that you don't you don't I, I remember it, I, it was a story somebody was like um they uh they work, 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 work just so that they can chill out and, you know, buy an island and just smoke a beer and have fun. It's, they work all these years. Right. And then it was like, then you have another person who um, they have a nine to five and after work, they go and they spend time with their children. And it made so much sense to me because it was like, OK, so you have one that doesn't have a life until they're like 40 years old. Then you have another one who's like, you know what? I might not have all the riches in the world, but at least after I get off my job, I have time with my family. And it made so much sense. It's, right. just, it's just, it's the same destination. Right. It's two different ways to get there and how fast you want to get there and how it's all about gratitude. And it really is. And that's one of the biggest ways I coped. That was kind of like one of the ways I started writing was that when I was going through my cancer situation, I started like doing something called um, Thankful Thursday, where I would just say everything I was grateful for. So I did that for maybe one or two years. Um, and then I wrote my book, I feel like after that, because it is a lot about, it's a lot about gratitude, but it's a lot about, it's just a, a lot of it for us is just doing something different than our parents. A lot of us, you know, our parents didn't really spend a lot of time with us. So then you think that that's normal, like, okay, well, you're supposed to just go and work a lot and then barely ever see your kids. Um, and you're like, well, we turned out fine. And you're like, well, did we turn out fine? You know? <laughs> because I think let's have a lot of issues, you know? And so obviously, you know, you give your parents grace, you give yourself grace, and you try to do better and try to do something different because that's the biggest thing. Like one of the things that um, Siobhan and I talked about in our last episode, Friendship is Coping, we talked about just like seeing where it's going. Like I've seen my dad work 
for so long and work himself into poor health. And so it was just like, well, I know I want to do something different, you know? Yeah, I definitely do. And I'm glad I'm 38 and and realizing this because I can't imagine being 50, 60 and ah, oh, nah. So yeah, I'm not wasting any more time. I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm enjoying every minute of my life. And I feel like the best way to do that is through writing, is to teach people through writing. So I study, I do what I love, I study, I experience life, and then I write about it. Yeah. Yeah. And and we appreciate you for doing that because it really does inspire a lot of people to to reflect. Like that's I mean, I wrote a book about reflections because people just don't really understand how important it is to really be still. Like that's what I learned too in my cancer, my my cancer journey. I was mm-hmm. like, I'm doing all of this running around and I need to learn how to chill out. You know, I think that that's part of like our trauma response in America is that we keep we we like you move, 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 keep moving. But you never really take a, a moment to sit down and reflect and and re-strategize and see where where is all of that, where is all of that moving around gotten you. And for me, you know, when I when I got diagnosed with cancer, that's what I asked myself. I said, I, I feel like I've just been running around trying to prove myself to people who don't even matter. And at the end of the day, I gotta, I gotta be happy with myself and I gotta, I gotta spend time with myself to know myself. Yeah. If you if you notice, I, I haven't been on. So I go on social media every so often and I post something. I used to post religiously every day, like three times a day. And now I'm, I do a stories. I do a series of stories and then I'll be gone for another week because <laughs> I'm literally like, no, I will not be a slave to social media. It's just another dang on Matrix. No, I completely agree. I um. I like because I have two businesses. So health is love is one business. And then Dr. Shoma knows is the other. And I I pretty much I haven't walked away from Dr. Shoma knows, but I've, I've taken a long pause because the pandemic has been really traumatic for doctors. And so, like, you know, we became like the enemy out of nowhere. We're like trying to help people. We're trying to do our jobs, which we've done for a long time. But then all of a sudden we became like the target of a lot of disdain and frustration and all that sort of thing. And I have to walk away from Dr. Shoma knows. What do you mean? Um, it's just, it was just a lot. Like you're getting a lot of, uh, just talking about like the vaccines. Uh, that was a big problem, mostly with the vaccines, but I feel like even just people, like I, I once posted a thing about like, I posted a video and tell people to wash your hands and try to like do social distance and everything. And somebody was just like, you're not saying anything different that we haven't already heard. And I'm like, okay, people, we still tell people to don't drink and drive, but people still drink and drive. Like we can say the same message over and over again because there's still a problem, you know? <laughs> so, so it's just like, you know, and it didn't, I, it didn't happen all the time, but it was, it was just for me, what it was, was, I deal with enough problems at work, you know, backlash from work. Like I have people who've gotten upset with me for following COVID protocols. Like, do you have a cough? Have you had a fever? No, you cannot have a physical today. And people being upset and trying to fire me as their doctor, which for me, I'm like, I, I want to practice in a respectful workplace. If you don't respect my workplace to not follow the rules and not come in here sick and not care about my life, 
then I don't need you as a patient, you know? Yeah. So it was, it was, <laughs> we were just dealing with a lot at work. And so then to come home and just be like trying to help people and be like, all right, people like we're still doing the hand washing. We're still doing this. And then people being like, what do you mean? Like, we already know we need to wash our hands. And it's just like, well, these COVID numbers don't know. You know? <laughs> so, so, you know, I just had to take a, I just had to really, you know, walk away from it, um, take a break. And that's kind of when I started transitioning into helpless love and writing about coping because that's what I was doing. Like yeah. I was coping with the pandemic. I was coping with all types of stuff I was dealing with in my personal life. And so, you know, I kind of just leaned more into, into there. Um, but I still like recently I had COVID for the first time. And during that time, I barely posted. Like I'll just take breaks. Like there'll be times when I disappear from health is love too. And I'll be like, Hey y'all, I'm back. You know? <laughs> so, but yep. that's the biggest thing you want it. You don't want your coping tools to start becoming destructive, you know, constructive coping skills. Everything has a double-edged sword, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I don't know. I think that in America, we just, I don't know. It's like, we have somewhat of like a workaholic culture. And so sometimes you can take you know, like a hobby or even just your regular job um, and just not have healthy boundaries with it and become a workaholic without even really trying to. And so that was what I felt like too with Dr. Sean Windows. I'm like, I'm doing enough work at work and it's already draining enough. I don't need to be doing this kind of work at home. If I'm going to do social media at home, I'm going to make it fun and actually a positive experience for myself, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the way that the way everything is structured now, it's like um, there is. If you're not working yourself to death, then you're not successful. You're not trying to be successful. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, and that's how America is because, like, so one of the most traumatic things that happened to me this year is one of my coworkers was supposed to retire. And felt like he needed to save our office because of the pandemic. And he was like, you know, everybody had lost money. We lost a lot of money. And he was just like, if I retire, then, you know, we won't have any money. But so then he just, but then he just dropped it, you know? And yeah. what was crazy about it was I'm a cancer survivor. And I like being, having that kind of perspective of really having to think about your mortality in that way of like, what if, yeah. what if the cancer comes back and it's really terrible and I die? Like it definitely helps you understand that life is short and it makes yeah. you prioritize life in a different way. And so like, I was telling him this, I'm like, you know, this has been really stressful in this pandemic and I got to create better boundaries with work and everything. And he kept just, he kept trying to like tell us he hurt us, but then he kept trying to get us to be like him. So was this after he, um, even after he got the diagnosis, he was like that? No. No, this is before. So what I kept, what like literally what I kept saying before this, before that happened, like when I first started working, I'm like, y'all are working. Because for me, I say in America, we need to learn how to work smarter, not harder, because they were doing a lot of dumb work. And it was really frustrating to me for me because I came from a place where they were working a lot smarter. And so I, uh, you know, kept trying to be like, you know, I know you keep trying to tell us to just like, I feel like a lot of the baby boomers are inflexible in that mindset of the idea of smart work. 
they feel like they can outwork any problem. And it's just like, it's not about outworking a problem. It's about, is it effective? Is it getting you home at night to your children? You know, it's not about, it's not about work for the sake of work. And so I think he just like, they just try to be like, oh, you're all are just lazy. And it's just like, no, we literally saw our parents work themselves into poor health and we don't want to do that. And so we're trying to do something different and they just can't understand it. And so then when he's like literally on his deathbed, he was like, shit, like Mm. y'all are right. That's sad. That is, it was really sad. And we all had really complicated feelings about it because we were like, yeah, we didn't want to be right in this kind of way. That way, yeah. You know, when I was working in like nonstop, I was getting like two, three hours of sleep. I wasn't doing anything I was supposed to do. Everybody kept saying like, my dad, like, you need to slow down. You know, like, I'm, I'm not about to be broke for the rest of my life. I'm about to get to this way. Like, boy, you can't tell me nothing. And then I started to see my health deteriorate. And I was just like, hold up, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. And then once you hit, like they say, I think they said once you hit like 60000 a year, no extra amount of money makes you happier. Well, I had exceeded my goal in life where I was like, I made enough money to get whatever I want. I was like, I don't even want this stuff. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, I don't care about this stuff. Like... <laughs> And that's how it goes, you know, like I started making a decent amount of money at a young age, you know, I wouldn't say at a young age, but probably younger than most people, like six figures at probably like 30, you know? And so, but the thing about it is, like I said, I got diagnosed with cancer at 33. And so I was like, damn, I didn't work myself into cancer. Let's not worth this, you know? (laughs) And I know, I don't know that I worked myself into cancer. I know that I know that I spent a lot of my life running, you know, running away from poverty, running away from my family and trauma, running away from all types of stuff. And when that happened, I said, you know, I didn't run myself into cancer. And whether it was working too much, being a workaholic, whether it was just all types of stuff, I was just like, I want to do something different. Like I want to figure out how to be still and I want to learn how to create peace and meaning in my life that you know for whatever that means for me versus seeking external validation I feel like I spent a lot of years in my life seeking external validation and then when you get to that point of like well I'm here by myself with cancer and nobody's here so you have to learn how to validate yourself because at the end of the day like that internal conversation and that time you spend with yourself is the most important not only that, but I think what people fail to realize is when you do start coming up on some money, it is very true. More, more, more money, more problems. Because now, anytime somebody passes away, anytime that you are literally like the person people come for rescue. Yeah. You know, and then if you don't, it's like I mean, I have people like, why you didn't buy me a house, and why you didn't? I want to, I want to live like, and I, and it was like, you're my sister, and you're my daughter. And it's just like, oh my god, like, do you understand, <laughs> like? In one sense, it's like you're working too hard. In another sense, it's like, well, you got it. You got it. So they don't understand money runs out regardless of how much it is. Right. And I think that's a lot of pressure on a person. Right. It is a lot of pressure. And it's like, and it's not healthy for people to use you like a commodity, you know? And that's the thing, like, you know, 
you can spend, I know a lot of people seek external validation in that way of like, yeah, I bought my mom a house and yeah, I bought my mom a nice car. And it's like, yeah, but none of it matters. If, I mean, if you're comfortable with the fact that you set your parents up and that you pass away, but it's like, but you can make a lot more money by living, you know, like, yeah you know like you 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 spent you make like in five years you make enough money to take care of your whole family but if you lived 20 more years or 30 or 40 more years making a decent amount of money it's like number one you'll you'll have more money to be able to have things be more sustainable but number two you'll create a million more memories and have that presence and be able to support people when they're having hard times and all that sort of thing it's like life is about way more than buying your parents' houses. Like I've I haven't been able to buy my dad a house or my mom a house. But when my father really needs me emotionally, like I've supported my father emotionally through so many things. And that's worth way more money than anything, you know, because I've helped my like all the things I've supported my father through is part of the reason why he's still alive, you know. Yes, this is a very, very good conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. One of the things about writing, though, um, when I wrote my memoir, I was very, very afraid that my dad would um be mad at me about telling the family business or whatever. And so I had came to a point where I was going to release the book one weekend. And the same weekend just happened to be uh, when, they, when my grandmother had passed away. So I was staying with my 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 father for that weekend had the book in my hand. I was like, all right, I gotta tell him about this book. I'm like shaking, like seriously shaking. And so he was like, he read the book. The next day he came to the room and he had tears in his eyes. So my dad don't really cry. And he's like, you know, um, I'm sorry. Like, I'm so sorry about, you know, some of the stuff that happened in the book. And then he said, you know, I am so glad that you told this story. Somebody had to tell it. And people don't realize that a lot of times when you share your story, you're actually sharing pieces of stories that some people are so afraid of, but by you telling it, it's still freeing for them. Mm -hmm. So that's coping for, you know, your family as well. Like my sister called me crying, crying, D, you was only eight years old. I can't believe you remember that. I thought... You know, nobody remembered. It was a scene when she was getting abused. Nobody remembered that. But the way I wrote it, it was like, dang, somebody actually paid attention. Even though you were eight years old, you saw when I thought nobody saw me. Right. Yeah. Writing is definitely powerful. It definitely can be. And it, it definitely has a it definitely has the ability to, to heal so many wounds. And that's what I talk about a lot is like, we're all just walking around here with scars and you know how they say like hurt people, hurt people, but you have to make a choice to, to learn how to heal people instead. And I think that that's one of the biggest things we have to do as, as black people, a lot of people, nobody really has ever taught us how to nurture each other. Like, you know, our legacy comes from slavery and that was a very harsh place. Um, you know, void of nurture and I think that people don't really talk enough about that legacy of you know the the void of nurture and the void of love like love really is nurturing 
And uh, that's something I read in Bill Hook's book. Like I was, as I was like writing Health is Love, I was looking for, I was reading a lot of books about love. Um, and I remember reading that in Bill Hook's book. She talks about like how we learn a lot from our family, how to care for one each other, for one another. But she was, but she was like, nobody really ever defines love in this way. Like, but love is actually nurturing. And we don't learn a lot of that from our families. Our families never had anybody nurture them in that way. So they don't necessarily know how to nurture. And I think that for me, like part of being an artist is you're very empathetic and you and you inherently understand that. And so for me, when I don't feel that kind of love and that kind of nurturing in any relationship, that relationship is done. Because emotionally, I can't handle, I can't handle, you know, that punching bag energy and that bully energy and that mean energy I I can't handle it so I just remove myself from it because I don't want to I don't want to punch back I don't want to fight back I like I'm an Aries so I will if I need to I will defend myself but inherently I don't I don't enjoy being in that space because for me like you know I'm somewhat of an empath and I feed a lot off of people's emotions and I just I can't handle being around people who are emotionally abusive, people who are bullies, people who are mean. Like, I'd rather you punch me, for real. You know? <laughs> but that emotional abuse and that lack of nurturing and that sort of thing, like, I hate it. Yeah. And I think that we have such an opportunity as as Black people to learn how to really love one another and how to nurture each other. And I think that that's what's hard about like social media and so many things and our jobs and all this sort of thing is instead of learning some of those skills that we don't really have as Americans, we learn how to cover up, you know, the fact that we don't have those skills. Um, and a lot of it's because we don't have enough conversation about it. And like, you know, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know where your blind gaps are. If we have a culture that we like, I feel like the whole American culture is full of, is devoid of a lot of nurturing. Like our schools could be more nurturing. That's why we enjoyed going to Shaw High School because it was a nurturing environment, supportive environment. Um, our families could be more nurturing. Um, all types of things in our society could be more like, especially even in the medical field, our relationships with our healthcare community could be more nurturing and, and vice versa from the patients. Um, it's just like such an absence of that nurturing and such an absence of that love. And that's really what my whole business and brand is about, is about trying to figure out how to get to a place where we can heal, nurture, nourish, and love each other better. Yeah. Yeah. So... I feel like you do that with your writing and with your classes about writing is like learning for people to really learn how to nurture themselves, nurture their inner child. Like I've heard you talk some about, you know, just getting in touch with that inner child and trying to learn how to heal from that place. Yeah. Um, Cause I feel like um, a lot of people don't even know that they even have an inner child. Like a lot of people think that, you know, the mindset that they have is just the mindset they have, not knowing that there's a little child driving you uh, because of pain that they're, they've been through, you know? So when you start to write, you start to see things that you normally wouldn't see just by talking. You write, 
let's say you write, and I'll call it like flow state. So I, I really suggest people to just write early in the morning or when they're in a spot where a space where they not thinking about anything or caring about anything else. They're just literally just writing whatever's on their heart. And so what ends up happening is you might go back to that days later, weeks later, years later, and you start to just see all of the pieces of your life that you probably wouldn't have seen if you never written it, written it down. So, you know, we, we're so busy. We go to day, day by day. We might get mad at somebody, might get in an argument. But a lot of times we don't slow down enough to really recognize the pieces that we're putting out. Now, when you're writing it, you see all of those pieces. And then you're able to identify like, oh, you know, maybe I need to, you know, go back to this trauma and see if I am really repeating a, a pattern. I, I whooped my kids because my mother whooped her kids and then you start to give grace, like you said. Once you start to put the pieces together, it's like, oh, well, shoot, my mama whooped me because her mama whooped, you know? A lot right. of times you don't see it. And another thing with me is I learn and I can comprehend better by seeing it than if somebody's telling me something. So once it's written down, I'm able to really understand it. It's like, it's a visual, like, oh, wow, like, okay, I am an amazing person. I did that, you know what I'm saying? So in that sense as well, in a positive way, a lot of people don't see themselves, you know? And writing is definitely a great way to reflect the things that's really in your heart. Right. I think a lot of people don't see themselves. I don't know. It's like a lot. It's like, like I said, when I go back to that, people criticize themselves and then they criticize other people. I think that a lot of people, when they see themselves, they just see all of their flaws and they see all the negative versus having balance in their opinion of themselves. And I think that, you know, if more people could write out some of their positives and some of their negatives and have a more honest conversation about who they are as a person, then they can start growing and being better coming from a place of truth and coming from a place of nurturing. Like they really have to nurture themselves to, to feel like they're valuable. I feel like so many people just don't, they get all that negative stuff in their head and then they, they don't feel like they're worth a lot, you know, and they have to learn how to train their brain to be more positive and just have to learn how to give themselves more grace and learn the origins of a lot of that stuff. You know, people do, people definitely do absolutely repeat the cycles of trauma and and abuse and all types of things but it's like a, at some point somebody has to break that cycle that's one of the biggest things i'll talk about with help is love is uplifting with love even sometimes tough love and breaking cycles because that feedback that feedback of tough love is what helps you break cycles and sometimes you give that feedback to yourself sometimes other people give it to you sometimes you write it and can reflect on it um, that's and that's that's what I've had to do with myself. Like when I've been through a lot of different traumas in my life, I really just had a conversation with myself and said, "You got to do something different." You know, you got to do something different. You tried this. Like I coach myself. I say part of you know part of what we do as doctors and part of who I am as a person is just coach. And so there's times when I have a conversation with myself like a coach, like, "Hey, you didn't try X Y Z. These plays, you didn't. You know, I used to play basketball when I was in middle school. A lot of people don't know that because I was terrible at it. <laughs> but, but I love sports and I love the idea of, you know, that internal voice to tell yourself how to be better, like how to win. Like 
hey, you tried X, Y, Z, that didn't work out. Why don't you try this? See how that goes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I feel like the biggest thing for all of us is to understand that we're all living and learning every day, you know? I think that for a lot of people, for me, they were like, oh, you're a doctor. You figured everything out. And it's just like, I I haven't figured everything out. I don't consider myself, I don't look at myself in that way. And I don't look at people in that way of I'm here and you're there kind of thing. And a lot of people do that. They do that to themselves and then they project that on other people. But I don't see people in that way. I love people. And I understand that everybody's on their own journey and people are in their different, different paces. And one of the biggest things I've ever said and I don't know if this is any kind of quote, but I'll always say, you know, I, I love being a doctor. I love the stability that I have from how hard that I've worked to get to this place. I said, but the thing I understand as a doctor is how vulnerable life is and how fragile it is. And I understand that if every, if I get into a car accident tomorrow and, you know, have some kind of terrible accident and, I, and I'm in recovery or I may never recover. The most important thing is how I treated people. Mm -hmm. Because if I treated people well, then people are going to treat me well. Yeah. You know, like that scene from Diary of a Mad Black Woman, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. So for me, that's that's literally what I strive to do every day is treat people well and give them grace, give myself grace, and just understand that we're all living and growing every day. And you just hope people receive that message before it's too late. Yeah, because a lot of times, I mean, it's hard. We're so distracted. So, yeah, a lot of times we don't get that message until it's too late. We're just too distracted. Yeah. So, um, I think a lot of people, I feel like reading and writing go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So the more you actually read, the more you're able to, you know, get more thoughts out and things like that. Mm -hmm. Like, you're able to, like, you have more depth, you know, so... If let's say I was shoot, I have a book. Uh, it's called Let Go. It's called Letting Go, right? So the more I read this book, the more I'm able to cycle through my thoughts and understand and filter out my thoughts, and then I'm able to write from a different perspective instead of just my mind. Now I'm coming from more educated, or like I said, it brings up more memories and things like that. Right. So yeah, yeah, and that's been my same experience with writing. Like when I wrote my when I wrote my first book. I read so many books that helped me like really organize my thoughts and just, you know, different perspectives. And I think, honestly, that's what kind of even got me back to writing because first I started reading more people's autobiographies. And then I honestly helped me with my confidence of people seeing what people are writing. And you're like, I could do this. I could write a book, you know? <laughs> so, so, but I think a lot of it for me, like I said, was I just challenged myself to stop running and to be still. And so I started reading and that helped me be still. And then I started writing and that helped me be still. And then I started, you know, trying to figure out how to turn a lot of that into purpose. And the problem with that piece of it for me is, you know, when you try to turn that into purpose and, and get out to people, then there's a lot of busyness that goes with that, you know? So how, to, like, I swear, I, like, I'm sure that's where you struggle too. Like you wrote all these books and then you were like on the circuit and just running around so I, that's one of my biggest fears right now is like, I've already been there and done that a lot. And it's like, you know, I have another book that I want to write. And especially um, next year, I want to do a lot more advertising because I've written a book and I've, 
done a course in a pandemic. So I haven't been able to market it as well as I want to. But right now what I'm planning to do is just set boundaries on how much, how many events and how often I want to do things. So I'm planning to do like once a quarter workshops, um, once a quarter book clubs, because before it was like, I felt like I was doing events like every weekend and just running around too much. So one of the things that I, I try to do is I I have I now have a routine where I will write a book and then I will study the book that I wrote and then I will then market the book. And the reason why I do it like that is because let's say my book is about um, letting go. If I write the book and then I study the book, because a lot of times we write and we we basically just dump. You know what I'm saying? Um, I then take that and then I break up my content into um, posts or topics to talk about. And then I could simply say, hey, every Thursday I'm going to talk about um, a chapter in my book and I'm going to promote my book. I'm going to get a flyer and I'm going to just promote my book like in 30, 30 minutes, in a 30 minute live or and I'm going to do break down my chapter into posts, seven posts in a week or something like that. That way it's more scheduled and more automated. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, it's hard as heck to, to do both. It's hard to write and market at the same time. Mm-hmm. But if you make it part of your life, it, it's a lot easier. That's why I always tell people to write about what their pain is, because it's easier to talk about not pain, but their pain point or Something that's really on their mind because it's easy. It's it's not right. it's not work anymore at that time. Yeah, it's easy to write it, but it's harder to talk about it. And that's what like there's a lot of emotional energy sometimes when you go to speak about it or even, you know, put posts about it. So that's kind of like this year. I, you know, I took a step back and I didn't I, I, I still just wrote about like coping. And I actually did take a part of my um, book and I turned that into the course. Um, so I kind of broke it down that way, but I think, you know, what you're saying is when you all made it though, it sounds like, I mean, part of that part of like, so part of what I have to do as a family doctor and not take on everybody's emotions is, is detach a little bit from things, you know? And so part of like, if you turn it into like automation and like, all right, I'm gonna talk about this, then that helps it be less painful too. When you can break it down and say, all right, this is the plan. And I'm gonna try to just stick to the plan and not really wrap my emotions in it too much, then it makes it a lot less painful. Or what you could do is you can um, look at, look at each story from different angles. So let's say I was talk I was um, molested, right. And my book is about me being molested. There's different things that I could talk about without talking about the actual molestation. Mm-hmm. I can actually talk about the manipulation of men. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like I can talk about go around about if I can't directly hit on that particular thing. Mm-hmm. So I think it's all about, again, studying. If you study your book, what you've written, you'll be able to see that it's way bigger. Like it's it's a much deeper than, you know, what we we wrote it from. Like we feel like we wrote it from a surface level. But if you write it, you can pick out all types of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's good advice. Well, I think that we've had a great conversation for the past hour. I know we both got a lot of things to do. <laughs> and I'm not 
know. I know we could talk for a long time the way I am. I could talk for five million days and my voice is already kind of like scratchy from talking all day with my family. So <laughs> so I'm going to, you know, leave it there. Thank you so much for for joining us and giving us your insights on writing and writing as coping. You have any final things you want to share with everybody? Yes, I just want to say there's a lot of people who die and they have a story inside of them and they've been wanting for years and years to write it and they don't write it. You only have one opportunity to write your book because once you're gone, your story is gone forever. So just try to push through. If anything, if you need to do a Zoom call and just talk about it, your stories or push, pull your kids, your grandkids together every week and say, hey, let's sit down and just let me share you one story for 30 minutes and this record it. And at least they'll have the recordings. But however you get your story out, do not leave this earth without sharing the most important parts of your life and lessons that the next generation can live off of. Yeah, that's really great advice. And I've actually talked to my dad about that too. Um, Cause you know, like your parents tell you all these stories and you're like, you need to put this on video. Um, and so I'm, you know, trying to, to write a lot of my stories and I'm glad to have your help with that. And are, are you offering that service for a lot of people? Do you want to tell people about that too? Um, right now I'm coming out with a book called They All Cried at the End, The Secrets to Writing a Powerful Memoir. That's what it's called. So it's going to be out soon. So yeah. Awesome. And you can get that at KhadijahGrant.com or on my Instagram, Khadijah underscore Grant underscore. Awesome. Well, we're also happy to have your help with writing our stories because, you know, it's it's great to have people who are willing to share their secrets and not just say, well, I'm going to be the only writer. And, you know, <laughs> so I'm glad that you share your gifts with everybody. And we're all work on sharing our gifts and our stories and our perspectives and insights with everyone as well. Thank you Thank so much for being an inspiration. I Thank love you. you so much. Love you too. <laughs> I just want to tell everybody that I hope that you have a great rest of your self-love Saturday. And remember always that loving yourself is an act of rebellion. Self-love Saturday, help live with love. Self-love Saturday, breaking cycles, we rebels. Self-love Saturday, help live with love. Self-love Saturday, breaking cycles, we rebels.